Hi, I'm Delene Allen, the networking queen. I love to connect people. There is nothing more wonderful than the human connection. The connection that can lead to incredible things, to love, to business, to make our lives just so much richer, meeting and connecting on a deeper level than, hi, here's my business card but making those human connections that can take you to magical places. Stay tuned for network equals net worth. I want to hear your stories. I want to share your stories. So good day, Delene Allen here, network equals net worth. And that's not just about money, that's about the connections we make and the people we meet. And I have to tell you, I'm so excited to introduce Aaron. Aaron Elaine Casey is a communications expert, professional writer, and editor based in Halifax. Aaron has worked in women's issues, housing, literacy, arts and culture, education, academic success, and health. For seven years, she has run her own communications consulting business, serving the higher education, business, not-for-profit, and government sectors, as well as individual authors. Her mission? To spread the gospel of effective and clear communication so we can all connect with the people, services, products, and information we need. And she does one heck of a job doing it, let me tell you. You might also recognize Erin as the period lady. Her dignity period campaign raised awareness about period poverty and facilitated the collection of more than 120,000 menstrual hygiene items across Nova Scotia since September of 2018. In 2019, Erin co-founded and co-chaired the Purity Poverty Summit, a one-day conference that attracted par participants and pre presenters from across Canada. As a family violence prevention advocate, Erin appeared as on-screen host of the PEI Family Violence Protection Services series, Make It Your Business. Six videos that guide bystanders in safe and appropriate interventions when witnessing signs of family violence at work or in the public. She has also served on the board of Queen Pins, which is where I had the pleasure to meet her. Erin, I have to tell you, maybe you don't know this, but I'm your biggest fan because <laughs> communication is key, isn't it? I couldn't agree more. Communication is key. So it makes the world go around for better or worse sometimes. <laughs> well, but I think with you, Erin, it's always for better because you're also one remarkable woman who can make uncomfortable conversations a whole lot of fun and a lot more comfortable. But I know somewhere in that life, where, where, when it started, you had some pretty amazing role models, didn't you? Well, so as you mentioned before we started recording today, Daylene, I'm from Amherst. So Amherst, Nova Scotia, a little town. I don't know what the population is now, but it would be less than 9,000 people, I would think. Um, so I grew up there with my parents, uh, Dan and Elaine Casey, and uh, two younger brothers. Um, and definitely, you know, growing up, there was a sense that uh, of responsibility. I mean, I'm not going to say for a second that my parents like put a lot of pressure on us around that. They didn't. But, you know, my father was uh, I dare I say it, uh, somewhat obsessed with the health and wellness of downtown Amherst uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, when malls and big box stores were starting to uh, take a toll on small businesses and Amherst proximity to Moncton was, you know, always a challenge and still is, I think. So my father spent many, many years going to every town council meeting, uh, knowing every merchant downtown, you know, uh, just fighting, fighting, fighting for small businesses in Amherst. And, and my mother was involved in lots of things locally, including Amherst preschool and so on. But, you know, I, I always had a, I did definitely have a sense that although in those days we didn't talk about privilege and we didn't frankly have very much awareness about our privilege, I certainly had a sense that I had a responsibility to use my gifts and talents and good luck, frankly, in life and being born into the life that I was born into, I had a responsibility to use that for good, for sure. Yeah. And, and so um, your dad was referred to as downtown down. I just think that is 
because Amherst is the most amazing town. It really, the architecture, the buildings and all of that. So really you caught a lot of things that maybe it wasn't until later in life that you realized exactly, yeah. right? Now, yeah, but sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my father was, you know, a, a commercial in commercial real estate and, and the car business and, and uh, would say himself that, you know, he's a schemer and wasn't really happy until he, unless he had some kind of a scheme going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and he still goes to work, by the way, in his late 70s. Because um, he loves what he does. He does like to work. And you know, he doesn't go every day, which is good, but he, he does still go and uh, is still very much involved. Um, but the entrepreneurship question, you know, I mean, I've been had my business for seven years and I and going in, I told this story to somebody yesterday, actually, that I I uh, and I want to give a shout out to SEED, the Center for Entrepreneurship, Education and Development. So like lots and lots of people in our orbit, I did the self-employment benefit program through SEED where you have 40 weeks of classes and networking and education and coaching to start your own business. And I had moved back to Halifax after being away for 10 years for my husband's job. And I thought, well, I don't really, I don't want to get a real job. I'm like, I don't want to have to show up somewhere every day. So, so I thought, uh, well, maybe I could have a business. I don't know if this is for me. So Vanessa Burns, who I think you also know. Um, and so she's a great networker and, and Vanessa and I had gone to Kings together and she said, well, why don't you come with me to the center for women in business networking breakfast? So, you know, I did that and I still didn't really know. And in those days there were like 15 people at that breakfast. Now, if they were having them right now, you'd have 60 or 80 people at them. Um, so shout out to them too. But I, I, you know, she took me to this breakfast and I still, you know, and I, I started at seed and the, I have to confess daily and the entire time I was doing that program, I was kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. I don't know. And I've done some freelance writing anyway, at the end of 40 weeks, I had a business and I had clients and, and I, I kind of think of myself as a bit of an accidental entrepreneur, but I absolutely think that that wiring was in there. I just didn't plug into it until my forties. Exactly. Um, but early so, on in your life, yeah. you did use your voice. You know, whether it's your voice or the connections we make, either way, when we're communicating, we are connecting, right? Oh, yeah. And so tell us that, that growing up, you always felt that if you saw a need or something else, what did you want to do? Well, you know, I, I, well, I didn't have a lemonade stand per se, and I wasn't so interested in making money. I certainly had kind of a resourceful entrepreneurial approach to life. And I really was someone who was attuned to unfairness. So, um, and injustice. And as a kid, and all kids are, right, to some extent. Uh, but I think for me, I was, you know, there was always something on my mind that I didn't think it was fair. I didn't think it was right. And uh, <laughs> I wrote, I think I wrote my first letter to the editor of the Amherst Daily News at about the age of 13. Because, so the story is that the, the paper had published a photo of um, a uh, Amherst businesswoman named Pam Harrison, who used to be the manager of the Amherst Center Mall. And Pam, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any analysis for this, but, you know, Pam was like, maybe one of the only business women that I was aware of as a kid, right? And she managed them all. And there's a photo of her with, with some men, with four or five men at some event. I don't know what it was. And the caption under the photo said, um, Amherst businessmen gather for lunch to do something. Amherst businessmen. And I read that caption and I was like, what? That's not right. <laughs> so I wrote this letter and I said, "My, I remember the exact line, it was, uh, Pam Harrison is not, nor has she ever been a man. <laughs> it's not, you know, basically I went on to say it's not using gender exclusive language is not acceptable in a newspaper. I mean, and I was like, I think about 13. And, you know, you, you asked me, would, are my, were my parents proud of me? I'm sh of course, I'm sure they were, but I think I'm sure there was lots of eye rolling too, you know, at the time, like 1983, <laughs> kind of, oh, you know, what's she on about? Like what, like my, the, your, my, my, my proto-feminist leanings there. Um, but I just, I've always been attuned to that kind of thing and I continue to be attuned to it. I think sometimes to the annoyance of the people around me. Hmm. 
That's the only way things get done, Erin. I agree. Is you have yes. to annoy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, or um, I heard her saying, now I don't have children. You have two beautiful children. Um, your children will express that which you repress. So perhaps your parents always wanted to say things like that. You're the only one brave enough to do it. That may be true. I don't know. And I think there's something about being an oldest girl. So, I, you know, oldest girls are tend to be um, ser more serious, I think, bossy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use one. that word. You're one to, you know what I'm talking yes, about. So certainly. set an you know, example. <laughs> yes. And, and, and also as an oldest child, and I think especially a girl, your parents have very high expectations for you. Um, and I think that's definitely a part of, you know, how my personality was formed for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So when did you fall in love with words? Oh gosh. Um, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know if I could say that I, there was a moment and, you know, to be clear, like I'm not a creative writer. I'm never going to write a novel. Um, I think it's more but you like, could. well, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I would be good at it, but anyway, that's a whole other topic for another day. But, but I think what I'm more in love with is communicating. So I'm more in love with being clear, being uh, straightforward and giving people access to knowledge and information. So when we communicate, whether that's writing or speaking in ways that um, exclude people, uh, we're creating um, a society that is unfair and unbalanced and inequitable. That, but at the core of what I do, that, that is, that's my philosophy and that everyone has a right to information and everyone has a right to communicate. Um, and it might sound like a really serious way of looking at what I do, but it is really, really important to me that, that everyone has access to the information that they need. And, and that's kind of at the core of who I am, I think. So it's more about that probably than anything uh, literary. But I mean, of course, I always love to read and, you know, I always love, and writing was easy for me, to be honest. It was always easy. Uh, so making a career out of it just made sense. Well, and but some people, it's like people who can rhyme things or people who can write songs. To me, what, what you do is you make everyday norm just that much more beautiful. My yeah. husband would be the same sort of person who, it takes a long time to write something, but what he does, it's like, oh, wow. You know, that clear, concise, precise, but the message is definitely there. And one of the reasons that I, you know, I've started this podcast is because I think what you do is so relevant today and especially even more once the world shut down because that effective communication becomes even more important, doesn't it? Now, but here's the thing, you're magical with words and, and you've got the, the heart of somebody who, who really at heart wants to help and make those changes that you see that, that we need in the world. But um, is communicating with the person, right? Connecting with the person how are you face to face or let's say on a zoom like this does that comfort level because you're so good with the words or did you have reservations about well about doing this or or just walking up to a stranger oh, oh see because here's the thing uh, uh, to hand out a business card in the beginning of my career i'd rather go in the bathroom and throw up which is the biggest reason why I likely never, never had children i didn't want mornings like, but anyway okay so but here's the thing well, I think that, so I could, I could say a lot of things about this, but I, I really enjoy networking. I like networking and I love talking to people I don't know. And I mean, and my husband, that's a gift. It drives him crazy because yeah. I would make a friend in the grocery store lineup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, not a shy person at all. And, and I'm good at, I think meeting people where they are. Right. Like, so I'm, I'm good at figuring out a little something about somebody and building on that. And to me, it's like you network to connect. So I stole that from Men O'Reilly. Men, if you're watching this, shout out to you. So that whole idea of like, you're not networking to uh, get something. You're not networking to give someone your business card. You're networking to connect. Yeah. And that human connection. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you're and I know a lot of people really 
do not like networking and find it really uncomfortable and really difficult. And I completely respect that. Um, I would never say, oh my gosh, don't be silly. It's easy because it isn't for everybody. And I, I, I get that. Um, but for me, it's been, you know, I mean, I, I, for my business, for example, like I do no social media for my business. Like I have a, I have a LinkedIn profile, which I neglect terribly. I have a website, which I neglect terribly, but my, really my whole way of getting business is me and talking to people and connecting personally with people and building those relationships. Um, and it works for my type of business. It, it works well. So, but fun fact, I'm actually an introvert, yeah. which people who don't know me as well find shocking. Yeah. But I am absolutely an introvert. Like I love to be alone. I need time alone. I need that reflection time. I need to recharge. Uh, so it's, you know, I could go to a networking thing and be the last person to leave, but then, you know, I need to, I need to back up and recharge again. Exactly. So it's, so being shy, like I'm a, I'm a non-shy introvert. Okay. I guess. Well, and, and think of it this way, that, that you learned that you needed to use your communication skills to develop the clientele to make, the, yeah. And, and here's the thing, I watch so many times people at networking, all they wanna do is tell you what they, you know, I'm gonna sell you this and you wanna go, how do you even know if you like the person? Find something in common, find out if this is a person you wanna to get to know because it's those long lasting relationships that will always be the most fruitful personally, professionally, and all of those things. But if there's not a level of trust, nothing's happening. And this is one of the things that um, when somebody wants to articulate about their business, what I so often say is go to someone like Erin and sit down and she'll explain mm -hmm. how to, for how to you to effectively get it across. I don't know if you were at a um, a Center for Women and Breakfast when Sam from the Maui um, um, book um, show was there. And oh, oh my goodness, it, it's an amazing TED Talks. And what she said was, in fact, she used to run the Maui. It was where authors come to pitch their stories to publishers. Oh, I did see that. Yes, wasn't that amazing? That. Yes. yes. And yes. so what Sam says is when somebody asks you what you do, don't tell them. Right. And, and most, <laughs> most people go, what? Right. But, but that's what you do. You said a couple of very important things there, Erin. You can strike up a conversation in the grocery store because oh, yeah. you likely turn around, you make eye contact, you smile, and you notice something about the person and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was at the farmer's market at the forum one day, a couple of years ago with my daughter, who I think would have been like 15 at the time. And we're walking around and at the Forum Farmer's Market, which is great, I highly recommend it. Uh, there's vendors, there's food, but there's also crafts and different art things and lots of different vendors. And, and uh, so we were browsing around and I was striking up conversations with various people. And when we left, she, we got in the car and she said, how do you do that? And I said, what, what, do you, what? And she said, well, you had conversations like five or six people. I said, oh. I said, well, um, it's really easy at a farmer's market because you can just look at the table and know what this person is interested in. So you have a ready-made topic of conversation. Um, but at the end of the day, what I explained to her was it's about sincerity and it's about showing a sincere and genuine interest in people and, uh, and showing them that you care about them and what they have to say, right? And, and I, so for me, that's what sales is about too. So, you know, in my business, I have to sell. And I've talked to lots of aspiring professional writers and I say to them, well, congratulations. Well, in any business, you're now in sales. And a lot of the time people just go, oh my God, no, no, no. And I'm like, well, what do you like, what do you think is going to happen? You're selling a product or a service or you're, you're a salesperson now. And people are really, really profoundly uncomfortable with that. And I think it's a shame because to me, it's one of my favorite parts of my business is find, getting to know a client, finding out what their needs are, finding out where it hurts and say, okay, you know what? I think I can solve this problem for you and here's how. And like every, it's a win-win, right? <laughs> and, um, and I just, I love that feeling of knowing that I've connected with someone enough to understand what they need. And sometimes I don't, like obviously there's times when 
I can say, well, you know what, I might not be the right person for this, you know, or you're not ready to do this project or whatever it is. So it's about honesty and sincerity and genuinely wanting to meet people where they are and, um, and be of service to them. Now, so. did, did it take you a while to get comfortable with that though, Erin? I don't think it took me very long. And I am gonna go back to the whole latent entrepreneur thing because you know, when I started this whole process of, get, of getting my business going seven years ago, I think at first I was like, well, I'm not a business person. Like, no, I'm not, that's not who I am. I didn't identify with that. But then I started getting out there and it was actually very easy for me to sell my services. Like I, I found, I was like, I was good at selling. Yeah. And I thought, okay, <laughs> because I come from a long line of salespeople, mostly men, honestly. Uh, and so I, I think like it was there, it was in there. And I just had to sort of let it come out. And once I practiced a little bit, it really was very natural. Exactly. I, yeah. But, but we'll go back to a few other things, the authentic, the genuine, the caring, the listening, that, that really effective communications is selling. You're a mom. Yes, you are wearing those, those boots, right? Yes, you are wearing your coat. You know, we don't look at that as selling, but to me, if you can get them to eat their breakfast, get their clothes on and get the coat on out to school, you just sold somebody who didn't even want to be sold to. That's tough. But what, when you get good at the communications part of things, you know, it's as honorable to sell as it is to buy. Of and we, yeah. And we'd be sitting here naked if somebody didn't sell us something. Mm -hmm. And yet the, that word conjures up such that you kind of go get over it. Well, it, you know, which is not easy, but obviously, because you said a couple of other things when you were going through the seat, well, am I going to have a business? Am I not going to have a business? Yeah. And then there must have been a point that it clicked that something just felt so good that you got over when the pain of remaining the same is worse than the pain of change will do something. Yeah. So yeah. wait, and, wait. Yeah. and if I'm honest, I think it was the thrill of selling. Yeah. Like if I just baldly honest, it was like, I loved closing deals and not from any mercenary oh, no. you know, putting anything over anyone, but just like, I am going to help this person and solve this problem and I'm going to get paid to do it. Yes. You know, and like if that feeling was so good. And But here's the thing, that's the whole mindset here. If what you have, you believe in so much yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that it's just finding. Now, did you also find that maybe took a little while in research, because I think that's the other thing you're really, really good at, to find the right clientele? Well, I always say your business is never what you think it's going to be. Okay. Almost never, right? I mean, you've probably seen this yourself, watching people develop businesses, and it almost never turns out to be in the box exactly that people thought. So I think I went into this thinking I'm gonna be working like writing grant proposals and working on government contracts. And, and what I ended up with was working, writing for and about business. So working for the private sector. Again, that latent sort of business entrepreneurship thing that was in there came out and I was good at it. And I didn't know that was there. And, and the other piece is higher education. So I do a lot of work with universities and, uh, and that, and I had worked at a university. So I had a certain uh, understanding of the culture in higher education and, and it's, there's very specific communication needs and I've lost track of your question, but basically. <laughs> I don't. But here's, here's the thing that, like you said, that I think sometimes we ought to look at our parents and what we learned earlier in life because yeah. it might have helped us get to, I mean, because you love what you do when it shows. Yeah. And, and same thing, the thrill of the sale is the, one of the most beautiful things because your client is happy, you're happy. That's the magic. They walk away with something they didn't even know they needed, right? Often, yeah. And, and it, yeah, well, more than often, I bet, Erin. Do you know what's interesting? When I look at magazines, you know, local ones, and, oh, Erin Casey wrote that, and I think, <laughs> Yeah. So, it's, but uh, I, I, I'm always glad to hear that, Daily, because sometimes I don't know if anyone reads it. Oh, no, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially people I know. So, the thing being, though, was there a pivotal moment? Let's say going through the seed program, you had somebody supporting it, because that's the other thing business owners need. Are, we need that group of people that supports us. So, Vanessa was dragging you out to stuff. Yeah. 
then was yeah. there a moment when it, maybe your husband said, so you're going to do this or not, honey? Or, you know, sometimes it's a person who says, Aaron, you're going to be great. Or you can't do that. Um, I like that you can't do that because that usually ticks women off enough. They go, yeah, I'm going to show you. Uh, so, you know, like there are probably a lot. I, mean, I have a little note here to myself. And I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. But I think this is for the second half. But I, I had lots of people supporting me. And so my husband is very much like you do you and you do your thing and very supportive and it's good. Um, and he works in the nonprofit sector. So, you know, he, he has a more in a way conventional job. So I always think it's really good in a family. If one spouse has a more conventional job and one spouse is self-employed, you can be flexible and you can, you know, I think it helps with raising kids for sure. Oh, they get um, to see real life, Aaron, yeah. real life. Yeah, they do. And, uh, but I, I also think about like Elizabeth Collis, I don't know if you know Elizabeth, but she was my advisor at Seed and she's still a friend. Um, and she was really in a very quiet, um, subtle way. I think she was one of the people who, really made the difference from me between me kind of going for it and not and so when I came out of the program and that first little while when you come out you're kind of you know you're on your own right you're the sink or swim and the first year is hard um and I had another friend Wanda McDonald who hired me to work with her on a project with the Department of Health and Wellness and Wanda's now at NSCC but she brought me in and gave me, uh, and, and I often tell this story too, a joblet, what I call a joblet. So a little, little tiny job, like a day or two a week for about a year. And that kind of, you know, like kept me going while I was building up my clientele. So, I mean, there's lots and lots of people who supported me. And one thing I will say, um, I talk about that first year as so many coffees with so many strangers, because when they cut you loose from seed, you got to sink or swim, right? You, you, so I started picking up the phone and emailing and literally talking to some, at least one person a day that I didn't know. Uh, that was hard, actually. That's harder than going to a networking event. I'm just adjusting my seat here, Danny. Yeah. That was harder than going to a, a networking event, I thought, because it was not, they're not all cold calls, but a lot of them are. And some of them are warm. Yes, but Almost here's the magic of what you did was the consistency, one a day. Yeah. You know, if we take care of the little things, Aaron, the big things will take care of themselves, but one a day. But I bet after a little bit, you got comfortable with it. Oh, it was, yeah, it didn't take long. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And here's the beautiful thing that I discovered is that nobody said no. Nobody, not one person said, I won't talk to you. Okay, that's not reality, <laughs> folks that are listening to this. But that speaks but, volumes to Aaron, the person. Well, but I think you wouldn't get too many people saying no, right? And if you, and, and I will add to that, so what if they do? Exactly. Right? What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Well, you don't yeah. get to talk to that person. But, you know, no one said no to me. Some of these people I met once for half an hour and I've never seen them again. Yeah. Some of them, a few of them turned into clients. A few of them referred me to people that turned into clients. Yeah. Um, so it was time. Make you bet you made a couple friends along the way too. Yeah, I, I, I met all kinds of people. And of course, you know, as I said, I've been away from the city for 10 years. Yeah. So I was not connected. Yeah. And so I, I found like in that first year, just the connections I made. Uh, and in, and even in the first three years of my business, I, I built uh, a really amazing network of people. Yeah, a really amazing network that still serves me extremely well today. Exactly. And which, to be honest, if I'm honest, does not require as much maintenance anymore, right? That's right. Yeah. Because it's there and it's established and, exactly. you know. Hi, Delene Allen here. I'm going to talk to you about Boost Health at 660 Bedford Highway. They offer the most robust, low-carb and keto products selection in all of Atlantic Canada with products like zero net carb breads and delicious, versatile, low-carb pita breads and wraps. They have everything you need from basic keto baking ingredients such as monk fruit, sugars, um, and to all various types of flour and keto baking premixes. They have keto barbecue sauces, 
to keto jams and chocolate spreads. They carry a variety of keto on the go snacks from Quest protein chips to cheesy nacho, perfect for movie time, keto cheese puffs, they are delicious. And if you're looking for a quick, sweet, guilt-free treat, they have a huge variety of keto sweet treats, cakes, and bars. Remember, Boost Health Shop at 660 Bedford Highway is keto heaven. You have to see it for yourself to believe it. So staying on a keto lifestyle, which is fabulous for diabetics, for anybody who's losing to or looking to lose weight, um, live a healthier lifestyle, try Boost Health on the Bedford Highway, your keto heaven shop. Okay, so second part of our program, Erin, this is so much fun. It's just, well, number one, all of the things I love people talking about their childhood, because I learn all kinds of things about a person that you kind of go, and I'm sure we know all kinds of mutual people, although you're a whole lot younger than me, honey. So you, you know, can I say I just turned 50 in September, and you look absolutely not 50 honey but that that's also you love what you do when it shows right well but i i just want to say that i think that's really important right that's a really important age for women and and uh i was really excited to turn 50 unfortunately i couldn't have a big raging party but just slightly delayed that's all Yeah. yeah But anyway, but I like to think the best is yet to come, Erin. And and the older we get, the more we we don't give a damn so much about what are they thinking? Because they're not really spending time thinking about us anyway. But here's the thing. So you got, yeah, because here's the part uh, you talked about seed. And I watched so many seedlings because I've worked with a bunch over the years that when you're in the cocoon at seed, it's great. But boy, when when they set you free, like you said, it's like, oh. But you survived past your first year. Look what you're doing. So after three or four years, you talked about, and I love the fact that you said one a day. That's, you got to do, you got to keep the funnel full, right? Okay. At least. So let's say, what was something after three or four years in the business that you decided you were ready for something bigger or well, different? So I'm going to tell a very quick story, I promise, uh, about kind of just a, uh, the power of serendipity. So, or kind of opening yourself up to lots of different things. So I, I was um, modeling in a fashion show for a store owned by some friends of mine. This was probably about a year and a half into my business. And I met this very lovely woman named Sarah Flynn who worked for a local um, PR company and uh, she doesn't anymore. She's off on her own now. And we hit, we, we hit it off. We had a really nice time, maybe spent a total of two or three hours together, but just really clicked. And, and we didn't really talk about work, but we did say, well, this is what I do. This is what I do anyway. So I don't know, a few weeks later, she emails me and introduces me to a guy named Ryan McNutt, who's in communications and marketing at Dow. And they were looking for a writer to do some stuff for their website. And they were looking for someone who had experience in higher education. And she thought of me. She didn't know anything about my work. She had no idea if I was any good, honestly. But she thought of me and referred me to Ryan. And to this day, Dalhousie University is one of my best clients. So it's just a good example of how every social situation is a networking situation. And not in any cheesy, obnoxious way. Just show up and be yourself and... But here's the thing, you both said what you did, but you communicated and you made a human connection. Yes. And yeah, yeah, if only we would take that little bit of time to get to know somebody, how much more rewarding, right, would our lives be? And I'm sure, Erin, based on what you've told me, that you could likely tell a bunch of other stories about how you made those lovely connections. And same thing, sometimes it's only that person person connection, you never see them again, doesn't matter. You got your best client, like holy act, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you think about sort of half the halfway point maybe, and, I, and I'm not gonna lie, like I have these moments, like all entrepreneurs, every once in a while where I just think, oh, you know, like it's tax time again. Maybe I'll go get a normal job. <laughs> but just where you, you, it is tiring. It's a lot of work, right? It's a whole other way of life. And um, 
than having a conventional job where you get paid every two weeks. And thank God, there's lots of people out there doing that. And that, that's great. And I, and I did it myself for most of my adult life. Um, but I, so I have these crises and I have these moments of self-doubt, uh, of course. Um, and sometimes it passes in two hours and sometimes it takes two weeks. But it always passes. And, and I think I did have like in the middle, like you said, the three, three and a half year mark, I think I did have a pretty major kind of moment of, oh my gosh, is this what I want to be doing? And I don't know that there was any big epiphany, but I kept, I just kept going, right? Because I have a bit of a history of like doing a job for three years and then moving on, right? Because I, to, if I'm honest, I'm, I get bored easily and I just had a pattern of doing that. And I, I think I, I, for me, that kind of doubling down and saying, okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to keep going. And I, I got through it. And during this whole pandemic time, I have to say, I've never been so grateful to be self-employed. And I know it's not the same. I, I completely acknowledge it's not the same experience for everybody. You know, I'm not in retail. I don't own a restaurant. It's a very different thing. But for me, it's been a huge gift to be self-employed at this time and have that flexibility and the power to control my work and my day and how I can meet with my family and my kids. And so I think it's given me a whole new appreciation for this lifestyle that yes. I have. Yeah. Now, the other thing I, I like to think um, that your children, much as you were raised by an entrepreneur, there are many things that are caught, right? You know, it's not what I say, it's what I do that usually. And so have they picked up some entrepreneurial skills? Okay, well, I will say this. So I'm very, uh, my son is 20. And he is, just moved out in the summer. Uh, this is, this was his bedroom, Jaylene. I said, I hope you're not too sentimental about your room because it's mine now. <laughs> so he, but he is, he's done two years at the Mount. He's a French major, a great student, but he decided to take this year, take a break. He is completely self-sufficient in every way. He works full-time at Starbucks. He loves it. He's a supervisor. Um, I think he's entrepreneurial in his job. Uh, and he uh, has his little apartment. He lives alone. He just got a cat. Like he's launched in a way that is, makes me very proud. And, and so, and he is, uh, we are similar in a lot of ways. Like he's got that resourceful personality. And anyway, so just recently I've been talking to him about like, what do you think you might like to do? And maybe he won't go back, back to university. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a challenging and difficult time to be a young adult in yeah. this world. And so I figure who am I to try to tell him to do things the way I did them. And I have talked to him about like, would you want to have your own coffee shop? Would you want, cause I think he would make a really good entrepreneur. Yeah. So I started just gently having those conversations. Of course you don't want to be too yeah. pushy because then, you know, they don't yeah. want to do whatever it is that you yeah. suggested. But, and my daughter is 17 too soon to tell she's an artist though, very artistic. So I could see her being self-employed hmm. in that as an yeah. illustrator or something like that yeah. um and I think she'd be well suited to it too but in a different way exactly yeah wonderful but yeah that having a parent who's self-employed who gets to work from home to me those children get real life education so much more than and especially finances you know that those kind of things when you get a paycheck every two weeks you're not inclined to talk about it yay mom just wrote her biggest contract ever, you know, you celebrate those things and they get to pick up on that. Yeah, amazing. So here we are seven years in and, uh, or maybe we could talk about how period. Um, oh, uh, Digny period. Well, yes. that uh, was a connection somewhere. It's so I'm not sure where that's going. So it's been dormant. Mm -hmm. since. That's well, okay. But, but go back to the beginning. Oh gosh. It was a connection. A whole other hour. So um, how did I get going on that? Well, I think I've been aware of period poverty, which is the difficulty or inability to afford pads and tampons and period products. Uh, and it is uh, commonly experienced by women, even here in Canada. Um, and I was aware of it, I think, initially in other countries you know, cause there had, you know, I'd read some things about it over the years and, and I think I had started to read some things about period poverty statistics in Canada and, um, and I'm out of practice dealing because I don't have my statistics at the tip of my tongue, but it's high, you know, it's like something, 
you know, a million women uh, between the ages of, I think, 10 and is it 25 experience period poverty in Canada every year. Where they won't go to school because they can't afford. Yeah, or they, yeah. they can't, at least some of the time they can't afford products or they can't afford what they need. So they miss school, they miss work. Sometimes you, you could lose your job, you know, like, so if you're a, if you're a, you know, a 35 year old single mother and you work at Tim Hortons, you don't get sick days and you're going to give your tampons to your daughter so she can go to school and maybe you're going to get fired. Right. So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff around it that I think people just weren't thinking about. And so when I first started doing it, I just did it alone, like on my own. And I would have a party at my house at Christmas time and, and collect donations. So this was a few years ago I started. And the first year I got like three garbage bags full of stuff. And I thought, oh, well, that was easy. Okay. And I donated them to a few organizations. And then the second year I did it and I got 17 big garbage bags full of stuff just at my house and made my son count it all. He can tell you that story someday. And uh, and then I thought, okay, come on to something here. People are really into this. And women were really responding to this message of being able to directly help other women, right? So I was having these pad parties, people were bringing donations sometimes. And then people started slipping me a $20 bill here and there. You know, in theory, I don't deal with money, but you know, sometimes people give me a little money, I'll go to shoppers or whatever. And then um, at the urging of a couple of friends, uh, Sheila Strong and Andrea Hewitt, who both work at McGinnis Cooper, the law firm, um, they helped me organize a bit of a campaign. And we just thought, well, let's just try it. Like, you know, I'll make a Facebook page and we'll see if we can get other, get, we'll see if we can get five or six other women in Nova Scotia to have a pad party. So we did this, I guess it'd be two years ago this past spring and it really took off. Like within a couple of days, I had a couple hundred people on the Facebook page and now there's, I don't know, 800 or something. Um, and women all over the province were having these pad parties. So in some cases it was like four people at your book club. Some people had a birthday party with 80 people and collected donations. And, and the beautiful thing about the model was that people could do it in their own community, donate in their own community, and I would, they would send me photos and I would post them on the Facebook page and share the good news about that. And, but I, and I did talks and I visited groups as I could, but it really wasn't about money, right? It was about wanting to do something directly for another woman or a person with a period. I should be clear about that. People with periods, not, not, not everyone has a period as a woman. Um, so, you know, I just, I think it just touched people. And, um, and, and then this conversation started in Halifax and, and I will take some credit for that because, you know, I think what I was doing was getting people to think about something they'd never thought about before. So the, the most common reaction, of course, it would get is, oh, oh, I've never thought about that, but of course it makes sense, you know, so it's, it's, it just, it really took on a life of its own. And um, until the lockdown was, was quite active. So when the lockdown happened, I thought, well, I'll just pause this for a while. And we'd had the period poverty summit last October, uh, like a year ago, October. And Suzanne Lively, my dear friend and uh, co-conspirator, who's the Diva Cup lady, she and I put on this conference with like 120 people. And we had people, the Diva Cup folks come from Toronto. We had speakers from BC, we, like it was amazing. Um, hosted over at NSGEU. They donated the space. It was marvelous. And so we just had this amazing experience. And then Suzanne and I crashed. <laughs> we just crashed. Um, so really now thinking about what the next incarnation of that is, if, if it's anything, because I really, I, I feel like I did what I set out to do. Exactly. Which yep. is I, I, I lit a candle and other Made people, people put aware, but people put logs on the fire until it was a raging bonfire. And now, you know, I think, it, I think it's a lot better for people. Yeah. Um, awareness. Awareness. Yeah. 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 So where do you see going with all that we've been through? I think we're coming out the other side, but I know you've got some big plans and some other things that, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, Aaron, you're not done. You're going to run for political office? You know, that's a people occasionally ask me that. I would have a really difficult time in the party political system. Okay. 
does not appeal to me. Okay. Aligning myself with a party. The only, I think, level of politics I would might consider would be city. Okay. But I, I, the joke I always make is I don't know if I'm nice enough to be a politician. <laughs> Just one second, but you have those great communication skills and that's when I you can think, say what needs to be said and still get the message across. Maybe, but I, I think, I don't know. I worry that I would, I worry that I would be, uh, I would get impatient with people, but, but I don't know. I don't know. I, it's not, I wouldn't say it would, is top of mind. Mm-hmm. I kind of like, I mean, the truth is at the end of the day, I'm kind of a maverick. Like I kind of like to do things my own way. Yep. And, and I get all kinds of support from people. And I'm so appreciative of that because no one can do it alone. Yep. But I, I definitely, um, and it's probably a character flaw, but I definitely like to kind of, I have a vision, I want to do it, I'm going to do it my way. And so whatever that is, and that's one of the things about the period poverty activism that I loved was, was just you know what, I'm doing this thing and I'm going to say what I'm going to say and I don't have to answer to anyone. And if other people are embarrassed, that's their problem. And I love that. I love the freedom of, of just being able to really get up in arms about something that made me mad, you yeah, know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen. As I said to you earlier, I, I seem to be talking about menopause to anyone, anyone <laughs> who would listen. So, so I think that may, maybe my next uh, activism has to do with that. Well, it's certainly a good thing to talk about. That's for sure. I think I talked about enough. Am I right? Exactly. You got it. Yeah, absolutely. Energy flows to where our attention goes. And if we talk about maybe some people can not suffer in silence, if you will, but yes. So Erin, if you were to to go back again, when you said you would make one new contact a day, and you said after about three years, you built the foundation for your business. But when you look at your network today, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? It, it really is. In fact, I surprise myself sometimes. Um, and I have absolutely got a huge, huge appreciate appreciation and enormous gratitude for that network. Um, and I wish I had more time to spend time with all every person in it. Right. I mean, the, one of the painful things about it is, is, I mean, I have a hundred people I could name in the next five minutes who I would love to spend two hours with. Yeah. You know, and so for me, one of the things I've been doing actually the last few months is is trying to spend some time with certain individual people um, because we're not in groups and we're not networking. And this and this is not as great, but it's not as good. Not as good. Yeah. So so I, I think, you know, for me, it's going to be about continuing to cultivate and cement those relationships. But I'm, I'm so grateful for the Halifax community. I can't even tell you like, and how, frankly, how I think how easy it was for me after coming back here after so long to make friends and, but you give what you, you get what you give, right? Like I I really like to help other entrepreneurs and people starting businesses. And I I love to sit down with people and give advice. Pep talks, pep talks are my specialty. Well, and, and you know, if you have a good idea, I have a good idea. Let's share it. And same thing. We, we need to have, Uh, more people start businesses in Nova Scotia. And certainly, again, now I find with the world having shut down, we're coming out the other end of COVID, but we still don't know what's going on. Communication, especially if you have a business or you're trying to communicate an idea, you are really, to me, the first person in business that ought to ever go talk to, right? You know, it's one thing to write up a business plan, but if you don't know how to effectively communicate what you're doing or, or again, Uh, Yes, everybody wants to do it their way, which is why most of us become self-employed. But what I learned was I'm only good at so many things. I need to hire the people that are good at the things that I really need. And I would say communications. I don't know about you, Erin. It's got to be top of the heap. Yeah. And one of the things I can do for people that um, they may not know is, is, you know, I can can just have a, a really generative conversation right? We can talk. I'm going to ask you questions that you might think have nothing to do with your business. Questions like what makes you get out of bed in the morning? This is my, one of my favorite questions to ask people. And sometimes they're like, why are you asking me that? I'm like, just don't worry about that. Just tell me, you know? Um, So I can have those kind of creative conversations that then are going to generate ways for you to communicate your value. 
whatever that value is. And that's the hardest thing for people I have learned is learning to quickly and succinctly communicate your value as whatever it is you're doing as a service provider or your product or whatever. It's hard. I find it hard. It is one of the hardest things you're going to do as a business person. Give you an example. I have a friend who recently kind of did some rebranding during COVID and um, went to work with somebody like you, a communication specialist. And they wrote up six different elevator speeches, you know, a 30 second, 45 second, a one minute, whatever. I cannot tell you the difference that it's made in her business. Just updating your LinkedIn profiles, things like that. And, um, and being able to articulate, right? And that's where you really are the master, why you're such a phenomenal MC at things. Because again, words must be like a tapestry or something to you the, the way, or I like to say my husband's a crossword puzzle junkie. He just loves how they all fit together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it comes very naturally to me. I'm not saying it's easy. Everything I write is easy. In fact, I'm working on something today that is very painful and difficult. Um, and sometimes it's like that. But uh, overall, it, is, it, ju- it does come kind of naturally to me. And it, it's very satisfying to me. That's the other thing. Exactly. Like when, when you get it, it's yes. like, you just have this moment of, oh, that is so perfect. Um, And I love helping other people get to that. Yeah. And so I find many people, let's say, are personable and can start those conversations. But if you're not getting your message out there effectively, it's kind of like, I call it winking in the dark. You're the only one who knows what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think another thing I want to say about that is, and I say this to people all the time, sometimes more forcefully than others, depending on the person, is it's not about you. Stop making your communication about you. I know you're super excited about your underwater basket weaving, and this is your passion and your life's work, and I know how important it is to you. Your customer doesn't, that's not what they need to hear. They need to know what you're doing, and even more so, they need to know why they should care. Right. So sometimes it depends on the client, but sometimes I'll even, I'll get so blunt as to say, who cares? Right. They'll be talking to me if I know them, especially. Right. So if they're talking to me about something and they're waxing poetic about their thing and I'm like, okay, why should I care about that? And it's not that I don't care about your passion, but it's really about being of service to the client so that they can make a decision that's going to point back to you. Exactly. Yes. Find out about that person, right? And then feel the need when you, when you're listen long enough, right? Two ears, one mouth should listen accordingly. Erin, I could talk to you all day. This was a treat. I just wish it was in person so I could give you a big hug. Any last minute things you want to add? No, I think we covered a lot of ground, but we probably could talk for another hour. Exactly. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Are you kidding? Well, listen, and so for anybody out there, you got a business, you got to talk to Erin and uh, she can get your communication so that things are really happening, right? Well, I would love to. Thanks so much for listening. What'd you like best? about today's conversations and the connections that lead to miraculous outcomes. Leave a review. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to share your story too. So why not touch base with the Lean Allen on Instagram and we'll keep the conversations going.